0: Our time in the Word this morning is going to be spent in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If I were to put you on the spot and say, quote something from Proverbs for me, probably a great number of you, your minds would immediately think about this passage. Even if you couldn't get it back exactly word for word, you probably have the substance of this passage in your mind. It's one of the most famous and most quoted passages from the book of Proverbs. And what we find in these two verses is a lesson that you might could say is the most important lesson that a father could ever give his son. Much of Proverbs is set within that context. It's set within the context of a father teaching his son how to fear the Lord, how to walk in the ways of God. And in the heart of teaching him about wisdom, he teaches him about the full extent of how his devotion should be dedicated to the Lord. That's essentially what piety is. We don't use that word much anymore, piety. Piety. It's an old word, but it essentially means our devotion, our commitment, our worship, our submission to God. And in this passage of scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the father is going to give his son a, a lesson in true piety, true devotion to the Lord. And, and we get to listen in. We get to listen in on this lesson because this lesson has been recorded in Scripture and it's been handed down through the centuries, through the millennia, thousands of years. And we have this ancient wisdom that teaches us how to have true piety, true devotion to our Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray this morning. Our Father, we thank you for the time that we have this morning to worship you. We've already heard, by way of song, many great scriptural truths about your glory, about your grace, and what you have done for us. Father, now we come to your word again and we seek to learn from its wisdom. Father, help us to understand what this passage is teaching us about how we are to be truly devoted to you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And Father, may we take these truths that we learn and let them not, Father, just rest in our minds as things that we've heard or things that we know, but may they actually take root in our hearts and produce a fruit of worship, a fruit of obedience, a fruit of walking in the right paths, so that Lord, your blessing might fall upon us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. David Hubbard, in his commentary on this passage, says that these words in Proverbs 3 5, and 6 are to Christ's disciples what the wedding ceremony is to newlyweds. He says, they spell out what is and is not to be done within that relationship. They set the terms of what it means to live with God at the outset of our commitment to him and through every step of our pilgrimage. They are the to have and to hold from this day forward of our marriage covenant with God, he says. He says, we need to reflect on them regularly as wedding anniversaries encourage us to do on our wedding vows. But to make sure this loyalty remains strong, we affirm it again and again. He says the marriage ceremony is like our conversion, the initial pledge of betrothal. But that trust must continue, must grow. And we cannot assume that the growth will be automatic. The wise called discipleship not a pole vault or a long jump, but a walk. Reaffirming, re-experiencing those first steps and then taking fresh ones day by day, year upon year, is what trust is about. How long does it take to build a good marriage? A lifetime of walking arm in arm is the only accurate answer. He says trusting God is like that. It is a lifelong commitment. It is a lifelong relationship. And the first thing that we see in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is that our devotion to God demands our entire trust. Our devotion to God demands our entire trust. The command to trust God with all your heart means that the total personality is to be committed to God's care. Every aspect of our being, When it says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, there's probably an intentional link back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great command that all Israelites can recite, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Here the wisdom of Solomon says that we are to trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it mean to trust? It means to depend upon, to rely on, to put your confidence in. It is one way of understanding it is to be completely dependent upon the one in whom you put your trust. You are investing, if you will, All of your resources, all of your life, all of your being, all of your goals, all of your plans, your ambitions, all of your talents, you're investing it all in the Lord, your God. To use an analogy, you're putting all of your money in one stock. I would never advise that you do that in the stock market on Wall Street. Because when you put all of your eggs in one basket, as they say, uh, you can lose them, right? With things in this world, with companies or with people, you you can put your trust in those things and they will fail you. But what the wisdom of Solomon is calling us to do here is to put that kind of trust in one person. All of our eggs in his basket. All of our money in that one stock. Everything that we have in that one box of the Lord. Full confidence in Him. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on Proverbs, he tells the story of his father who was in a cold weather climate. He was visiting and he came across a river that was frozen. And Having not been there, having not known how long the river had been frozen, he he gingerly stepped out and then began to crawl across the river, just kind of gently feeling step by step to make sure that he was not going to crack and fall in. And then behind him, he hears a wagon being pulled by horses come along, and it just goes straight across the river. On the ice. Here he is crawling along on his hands and his feet. And here is a team of horses pulling a wagon going across a solid ice river. They were from that area. They knew. They knew this is what happens when it gets this cold and it has been cold for this long. They lived their lives there. He was from out of town. He didn't know. He couldn't put his full confidence in it. But those who knew, those who had experienced, they could put their complete confidence in that ice and go across. That's the kind of confidence that the the writer of Proverbs here is asking us to put in God. And that confidence, that trust will grow throughout our lifetimes of faith. And those who have strong confidence, strong trust with their entire heart, soul, and mind, they serve as encouraging examples to us who are less less further along that path in our Christian walk. But Solomon here calls for us to place our trust in God with an entire trust, everything that we have. Secondly, he teaches us in this passage that it is to be an exclusive trust. Entire trust with all of our heart. Then he says it is to be an exclusive trust. Meaning in the Lord only, not on anything else. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then to emphasize the fact that in the Lord and the Lord alone is to be our trust, he says, and don't lean on your own understanding. Don't put your hope, don't put your confidence, don't lean on the staff, if you will, of your own understanding. Why? Because our understanding will fail us, won't it? Our our way of thinking will fail us. So he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, does that mean that as we walk through life and as we seek to walk in God's ways, that we never engage our minds? That's not what he's saying. Much of Proverbs is about gaining understanding, isn't it? Much of Proverbs is about gaining wisdom and discernment in which we employ our minds, but we are employing our minds in such a way that we think God's thoughts after Him. And our thoughts are to be completely dependent upon and built upon His thoughts. So, what he's he's not saying here, don't use your mind. Don't use your brain. Don't think. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, let your thoughts, let your way of thinking... Let it be built on the sole foundation of the Lord. And this speaks in contrast to our world today, doesn't it? Because our world today as a whole, our secular culture, and, and not even just secular culture, but even many, many churches and denominations have come to the point where they have said, I am no longer going to build my faith or my practice on the wisdom of God. I'm going to build my faith and practice on some other source of wisdom. And so instead of saying, I believe in the wisdom of God that says that he formed the world, he created it by the very word of his power. Instead of building our lives on that wisdom, we're going to build our lives on the wisdom of a theory of someone who lived in the mid-1800s, and we're going to say, it all came out of nothing, it all evolved from one stage to the next over millions upon millions of years, even though we don't have any conclusive evidence that that is the case, and any evidence that we do have can be twisted and manipulated to suit our own needs at the moment. And so instead of trusting God's wisdom, we're going to trust our own wisdom, whether it be in science or in technology or in biology, geology, whatever it is. We're going to put our our trust in that. So we have now even churches, denominations who say, you know, I'm not going to trust God when it comes to defining what humanity is. I'm not gonna trust God when it comes to defining what it means to be a man and a woman. I'm not gonna trust God when it comes to defining what a family is supposed to be. I'm gonna trust my own wisdom. I'm gonna trust the wisdom of my culture. I'm gonna trust the wisdom of this age. I'm gonna trust the the, the prevailing opinion that is current right now in this small blip of a moment of world history. That's where I'm going to put my trust. I'm going to put my life in that instead of in the eternal God who built the world. We have denominations, churches leaving the faith because they say, we're out of touch. We're out of touch. There was a there was an editorial in the New York Times not too long ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, that put it very bluntly. This editorial in the New York Times said, Christians, you just admit you've been wrong about gender and marriage. Just admit you've been wrong. Get with the times. At least it was honest, right? At least it was honest. Ignore the Bible. You're wrong. The Bible's wrong. You've been wrong for thousands of years. Just forget about it. Move on. At least that's honest. There are some within the church, liberal denominations, who are trying to make the claim the Bible actually teaches it's okay to do whatever you want to do with sexuality and be whatever gender you want to be. And so they twist and they distort and they undercut the word of God and they try to say, this is really what it says, but isn't that exactly what Satan did to Eve in the garden? Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? God didn't really mean that. I know those are the words that he used, but that's not really what he meant. Here's really what he meant as we have churches leaving the faith because they're listening to their own wisdom and their own understanding instead of the understanding of God. Now, we can do that with big issues and we can look at that and we can see that. That's obvious in our culture. But how about on a more personal level? How many times in our lives... Do we, when we are making a decision, when we're making a a choice about something, how many times do we stop and we actually think about what does God's word have to say about this? Do we ever, do we take a moment and do we stop and do we pray to make sure that we're aligning our hearts with God and his will? Do Do we ask for wisdom as James instructs us to do? And God is willing and freely able to give to those who ask him for wisdom. Do we stop and we pray for that wisdom? Do we stop and and think about what his word says? Are we spending time in his word on a regular basis so that we have a biblically formed mind in which to make those decisions and those choices? Too many Christians consult the Bible like an encyclopedia. You know how you use an encyclopedia? You're like, hmm, I wonder what that word means or I wonder what that thing is. And so you pick up the encyclopedia and you look up that word and you get a quick summary of what that thing is. People use the Bible that way. They think, hmm, I'm going to make a decision, so let me pull out my concordance and let me search for all the words that I think might have to do with that and I'll look up a few verses here or there and I'll see what the Bible has to say. The problem is that's not how the Bible was written. The Bible wasn't written to be consulted as an encyclopedia. And oftentimes when we do that, we can miss things. We can miss things or we can pull verses out of their natural context of what it's it's saying in the paragraph and the pages around it. And we can end up distorting the truth unintentionally by approaching the Bible that way. So what's a better way to approach the Bible? Immerse yourself in it. Immerse yourself in the Bible, fill your mind with the Bible, be constantly in the Bible, reading it, memorizing, meditating on it, hide the word in your hearts so that you may walk the right path. But he's calling on us to have an exclusive trust, entire, our whole heart and exclusive, not not relying on anything that this world has to offer not on any of its developments or science or technology, not on any of our wisdom or understanding, but to completely rest and depend ultimately upon God. And to make sure that any thoughts that we have are to the best of our ability built on his thoughts. An exclusive trust. But verse six is also calling us to an exhaustive trust. An exhaustive trust. What do I mean by that? First, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's your whole being. Then he says, and lean not on your own understanding. Don't don't rest on anything else. Exclusively rest on the Lord. Then he says in verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That's what I mean by exhaustive. In other words, in every aspect of your life, In all of the paths that you may choose to walk, in all of the decisions that you make, in all of the activities of life, acknowledge God. That word acknowledge means more than just a a recognition or an acknowledgement of someone's presence. The idea there is a personal knowledge. To know someone, to be in relationship with someone. And so, in all of your ways, which is a, a Proverbs way of saying, all your life, all your choices, all your vocation, all your hobbies, all of your entertainment choices, all of your relationships, all of the words that you say, all of the decisions that you make, all of your ways should be because and built on your relationship with God. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, know him, get to know him better. And may that knowledge of him influence you in all of your ways. So, and I've said this many times, and you've heard this said many times, a disciple of the Lord, one who is trusting in the Lord with all his heart, one who is fearing the Lord with all of his heart is someone who's not just doing that on Sunday in worship but someone who's doing that in all of their activities of life. So where, where do you work? What What's your job? Trust in the Lord in that job. Let your relationship with the Lord, let your knowledge of his word, let that influence you in that job. In the daily, even little decisions of that job. In your home, in your relationship with your spouse or with your children or with your parents, with your siblings, in all of those relationships, let them be governed by your relationship with the Lord. And all of your hobbies, and all of your daily activities, whatever it is, in all of your ways, that's pretty exhaustive, isn't it? In all of your ways, let them be governed by your relationship with the Lord, that you know him. And when we are devoted to the Lord with an entire trust, with an exclusive trust, with an exhaustive trust, then that devotion to the Lord leads to an effectual trust or an established trust. What do I mean by that? It's essentially what he ends with in verse number six, that when we commit ourselves to the Lord in this way, with all of our heart, In all of our ways, not leaning on ourselves, when we commit ourselves to the Lord in this way, then God has something for us. And that is, he says, he will make your paths straight. The King James says, and he will guide your paths. The idea there is of guide or straight. The the word that is used there is the idea of making something smooth or level, or straight. In other words, the, the the idea is of God clearing obstacles, making your way smoother. In other words, He is giving you; He's offering to you a blessed life, as the Hebrews would say, a life of shalom, a life of peace, of wholeness, of fruitfulness, of of effectiveness. Of living your life to the fullest. Not a small life, but a big life. A full, big life that is full of meaning, that is full of purpose, that is full of satisfaction. That is what God is offering to those who put their complete trust in Him. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be hardships, that doesn't mean that there won't be difficulties. But what this is offering is a blessed life of peace, a blessed life of joy, a blessed life of satisfaction, even in the midst of those difficult times. Jesus offered his disciples living water, right? Jesus offered his his disciples living water, living bread, the bread of life. He says, If you eat of this bread, you'll never be hungry again. If you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. He was offering them shalom. He was offering them fullness, wholeness, satisfaction, purpose, meaning, fulfillment. As they were partaking of that living water, many of them were beaten and persecuted, and some died. But they were still living this life of shalom, weren't they? This life of peace, of wholeness. Such like, you could be like Paul in Acts chapter 16, and you could be beaten and thrown in prison, and at midnight, what are you doing? You're singing hymns of songs of praise to God. Why? How can you do that? It's because your whole life, your whole confidence, your whole trust is in the Lord. And you know that he has you in his hands. And so Paul can say, for me to live is Christ. And so as long as I'm living and breathing, I'm going to sing hymns and songs about Christ. But if I die, then that's gain. I get to go be with Christ, which is far better. That is a life that is wholly committed to God. A life that is wholly committed to God doesn't have to worry about what's going to happen in this world. You may have some tragic thing happen to you in your life, but you can move through that even with joy if your whole confidence is in the Lord. And so let me just encourage us. Let us just stop and think for a moment. Is the Word of God, is the Word my source of wisdom? If the word is my source of wisdom and if I am trusting in the Lord with all my heart and seeking to acknowledge the Lord in all of my ways, then this book will need to be the center of my life. It's not that we're worshiping this book, but we're worshiping the person who wrote this book. And so this is his word from him. And so as in terms of our thinking and our direction, our decisions, our guidance in life, he has given us his wisdom. Let it be at the center of what we do and what we think. Are we depending upon the Lord and are we manifesting? Are we showing that dependence on the Lord by, by trusting him in prayer? When something comes into our lives Is our first thought, okay, here's how I'm going to fix that. A, B, C, D, or is our first thought, let me go to the Lord with this. Let me go to the Lord with this. Let me entrust this to the Lord. Let's get my, my thinking, my will in line with the Lord's on this. Now, will that mean maybe you still go ahead and do A, B, C, and D? Well, perhaps. But our ultimate trust needs to be what? In the Lord, right? Not in step A, B, C, and D. And so we're, we're placing our lives in his hands. And when we do that, we can live with a certain abandonment, a freeness. Not having to worry about what other people think, not having to worry about the fear of man, not having to worry about what the opinions of this world have to say about us. Not worrying if the world says, Christians, you're crazy, you're wrong. We don't have to worry about any of that because our ultimate hope, our ultimate confidence is in the Lord. We know that he's got us. And we don't have to be like the person crawling around across the ice. We can be rolling across the ice full blast because we know that God is solid and he will not fail us. We can trust in him. And when we trust in him like that, we have full, satisfied, joyful lives, which is what Solomon is offering out here to his son and to us. And so I pray that we will take these words, plant them in our hearts, And may the Spirit help us to develop and nurture this kind of a reliance, this kind of a confidence in our God. And may He grant us these blessings that He holds out to His children. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father God, we thank You so much for the wisdom that You have given to us through Your Word. We thank You for the true wisdom, the person That is Jesus Christ. The eternal divine word who took on flesh and came and lived among us. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that through ultimate trust and confidence in Christ, in you, that we can have the hope of eternal life. And that we can have the, the security and the hope and the joy that we need to walk in this world. So Father, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you for giving us your wisdom. Thank you for being a God who is completely worthy and capable of holding us. Lord, may our whole confidence be in you and may your blessing come upon us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.